Chapter Thirty Four of the Netherworld. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Netherworld by George Robert Gissing, Chapter Thirty Four: The Debt Repaid. She rose early in the murky cola of the winter morning when at eight o'clock she knocked as usual at her grandfather's door his answer made her tremble i shall be down in a few minutes jane i'll have breakfast with you it was long since he had risen at this hour his voice sounded less like that of an old man and in spite of his calling her by her name she felt the tone to be severe when he reached the parlor he did not offer to take her hand and she feared to approach him she saw that his features bore the mark of sleeplessness hers poor girl were yet more woeful in their pallor through the meal he affected to occupy himself with the book miss lant had sent the sight of which was intolerable to jane and not for a full hour did he speak anything but casual words jane had taken her sewing unexpectedly he addressed her let's have a word or two together jane i think we ought to oughtn't we she forced herself to regard him i think you meant what you said last night grandfather i will do whatever you bid me i'll do it faithfully i was ungrateful i feel ashamed to have spoken so that's nothing to do with it jane you're not ungrateful anything but that but i've had a night to think over your words you couldn't speak like that if you weren't driven to it by the strongest feeling you ever knew or will know i hadn't thought of it in that way i hadn't thought of you in that way he began gently but in the last words was a touch of reproof almost of scorn he gazed at her from under his gray eyebrows perhaps hoping to elicit some resistance of her spirit some sign of strength that would help him to reconstruct his shattered ideal grandfather i'll try with all my strength to be what you wish i will and suppose the strength isn't sufficient child even in her humility she could not but feel that this was unjust had she ever boasted had she ever done more than promise tremblingly what he demanded but the fear was legitimate a weak thing all but heartbroken could she hope to tread firmly in any difficult path she hung her head making no answer he examined her seeming to measure the slightness of her frame sad unutterably sad was the deep breath he drew as he turned his eyes away again do you feel well this morning jane yes grandfather have you slept i couldn't you were grieving about me i hoped never to have disappointed you 
he fell into reverie was he thinking of that poor wife of his dead long long ago the well-meaning girl of whom he had expected impossible things a second time had he thus erred no longer with the excuse of inexperience and hot blood that cry of jane's had made its way to his heart an enthusiast he was yet capable of seeing by the common light of day when his affections were deeply stirred and in the night he had pondered much over his son's behaviour was he being deceived in that quarter also and there intentionally did joseph know this child better than he had done and calculate upon her weakness the shock instead of disabling him had caused a revival of his strength he could walk more firmly this morning than at any time since his accident his brain was clear and active he knew that it behooved him to reconsider all he had been doing and that quickly ere it was too late he must even forget the aching of the heart until he had leisure to indulge it you shan't disappoint me my dear he said gravely it's my own fault if i don't take your kindness as you mean it i have to go out jane but i shall be back to dinner perhaps we'll talk again afterwards of late on the rare occasions of his leaving the house he had always told her where he was going and for what purpose jane understood that this confidence was at an end when he was gone she found occupation for a short time but presently could only sit over the fire nursing her many griefs she was no longer deemed worthy of confidence worse than that she had no more faith in herself if sidney learnt what had happened he could not even retain his respect for her in this way she thought of it judging kirkwood by the ideal standard which fortunately is so unlike human nature taking it for granted so oppressed was her mind by the habit of dwelling on artificial motives that he only liked her because he had believed her strong in purpose forgetting altogether that his love had grown before he was aware that anything unusual was required of her she did remember indeed that it was only the depth of her love for him which had caused her disgrace but even if he came to understand that it would not she feared weigh in her favour against his judgment it was the natural result of the influences to which she had been subjected her mind overwrought by resolute contemplation of ideas beyond its scope her gentle nature bent beneath a burden of duty to which it was unequal and taught to consider with painful solemnity those impulses of kindness which would otherwise have been merely the simple joys of life she had come to distrust every instinct which did not subserve the supreme purpose even of a sydney's conduct she could not reason in a natural way instinct would have bidden her reproach him though ever so gently was it well done to draw away when he must have known how she looked for his aid her artificial self urged on the other hand that he had not acted thus without some gravely considered motive 
what it was she could not pretend to divine her faith in his nobleness overcame every perplexity of the persons constituting this little group and playing their several parts she alone had fallen altogether below what was expected of her as humble now as in the days of her serfdom jane was incapable of revolting against the tyranny of circumstances life had grown very hard for her again but she believed that this was to a great extent her own fault the outcome of her own unworthy weakness at michael's return she did her best to betray no idle despondency their midday meal was almost as silent as breakfast had been his eyes avoided her and frequently he lost himself in thought as he was rising from the table jane observed an unsteadiness in his movement he shook his head mechanically and leaned forward on both his hands as if feeling giddy she approached him but did not venture to speak i'll go upstairs he said having sighed slightly may i come and read to you grandfather not just now jane go out whilst it's a bit fine he went from the room still with an unsteady walk reaching his own room where there was a cheerful fire he sat down and remained for a long time unoccupied save with his reflections this chamber had scarcely changed in a detail of its arrangement since he first came to inhabit it there was the chair which sydney always used and that on which jane had sat since she was the silent frail child of thirteen here had his vision taken form growing more definite with the growth of his granddaughter seeming to become at length a splendid reality what talk had been held here between kirkwood and himself whilst jane listened all gone into silence gone too the hope it had encouraged he was weary after the morning's absence from home and fell into a light slumber dreams troubled him first he found himself in australia he heard again the sudden news of his son's death the shock awoke him another dozing fit and he was a young man with a wife and children to support haunted with the fear of coming to want harsh unreasonable in his exactions at home something like a large black coffin came into his dream and in dread of it he again returned to consciousness all night he had been thinking of the dark story of long ago his wife's form motionless on the bed the bottle which told him what had happened why must that memory revive to trouble his last days part of his zeal for the great project had come of a feeling that he might thus in some degree repair his former ill-doing jane would be a providence to many hapless women whose burden was as heavy as his own wife's had been must he abandon that solace in any case he could bestow his money for charitable purposes but it would not be the same it would not effect what he had aimed at 
late in the afternoon he drew from the inner pocket of his coat a long envelope and took thence a folded paper it was covered with clerkly writing which he perused several times at length he tore the paper slowly across the middle again tore the fragments and threw them onto the fire jane obeyed her grandfather's word and went out for an hour she wished for news of pennyloaf who had been ill and was now very near the time of her confinement at the door of the house in merlin place she was surprised to encounter bob hewett who stood in a lounging attitude he had never appeared to her so disreputable not that his clothes were worse than usual but his face and hands were dirty and the former was set in a hangdog look is your wife upstairs mr hewett jane asked when he had nodded sullenly in reply to her greeting yes and somebody else too as could have been dispensed with there's another mouth to feed no there ain't cried a woman's voice just behind him jane recognized the speaker a mrs griffin who lived in the house and was neighborly to pennyloaf there ain't inquired bob gruffly the child's dead thank goodness for that anyway mrs griffin explained to jane that the birth had taken place twelve hours ago pennyloaf was very low but not in a state to cause anxiety perhaps it would be better for jane to wait until to-morrow before seeing her she didn't say thank goodness added the woman with a scornful glance at bob but i don't think she's over sorry as it's gone and small blame to her there's some people as doesn't care much what sort o times she has not meanin you miss but them as had ought to care bob looked more disreputable than ever his eyes were fixed on jane and with such a singular expression that the latter meeting their gaze felt startled she did not know why at the same moment he stepped down from the threshold and walked away without speaking i shouldn't care to have him for a husband pursued mrs griffin of course he must go and lose his work just when his wife's wantin a few little extries as you may say lost his work day for yesterday i don't like him and i don't like his ways he'll be gettin into trouble before long you mind what i say his family's a queer lot cordin to what they tell do you know them miss i used to a long time ago you knew his sister her as is come ome his sister her as was a actress mrs bannister was tellin me only last night she had it from mrs horrocks as heard from a friend of hers as lives in the farrenden buildings where the hewitts live too they tell me it was in the sunday paper though i don't remember nothing about it at the time it seems as how a woman threw vitriol on her and burnt her face so as there's no knowin her and she goes about with a veil 
and cause she can't get her own livin no more of course she's come back ome for all she ran away and disgraced herself shameful jane gazed fixedly at the speaker scarcely able to gather the sense of what was said miss hewitt you mean mr hewitt's eldest daughter so i understand she has come home when i can't just say but a few weeks ago i believe they say it's nearly two months since it was in the paper does mrs hewitt know about it i can't say she's never spoke to me as if she did and as i tell you i only heard yesterday myself if you're a friend of theirs perhaps i hadn't oughtn't to a mentioned it it just come to my lips in the way o talon of course i don't know nothin bout the young woman myself it's only what you comes to ear in the way o talkin you know this apology was doubtless produced by the listener's troubled countenance jane asked no further question but said she would come to see pennyloaf on the morrow and so took her leave at ten o'clock next morning just when jane was preparing for her visit to merlin place so possessed with anxiety to ascertain if pennyloaf knew anything about clara hewitt that all her troubles were for the moment in the background bessie bias came running upstairs with a strange announcement sidney kirkwood had called and wished to see miss snowdon in private for a few minutes something must have happened said jane her heart standing still bessie had a significant smile but suppressed it when she noticed the agitation into which her friend was fallen shall i ask him up into the front room michael was in his own chamber which he had not left this morning on going to the parlour jane found her visitor standing in expectancy yes something had happened it needed but to look at him to be convinced of that and before a word was spoken jane knew that his coming had reference to clara hewitt knew it with the strangest certainty i didn't go to work this morning sidney began because i was very anxious to see you alone i have something to speak about to tell you let us sit down sidney waited till he met her look she regarded him without self-consciousness without any effort to conceal her agitated interest you see young hewitt and his wife sometimes have you heard from either of them that clara hewitt is living with her father again not from them a person in their house spoke about it yesterday it was the first i had heard spoke of miss hewitt in a gossiping way do you mean yes then you know what has happened to her if the woman told the truth there was silence miss snowdon oh i don't like you to speak so you used to call me jane he looked at her in distress she had spoken impulsively but not with the kind of emotion the words seemed to imply 
it was for his sake not for hers that she broke that formal speech you called me so when i was a child mr kirkwood she continued smiling for all she was so pale it sounds as if something has altered you're my oldest friend and won't you always be so whatever you're going to tell me surely it doesn't prevent us from being friends just the same as always he had not seen her in her weakness the night before last as little as he could imagine that he was able to estimate the strength with which she now redeemed her womanly dignity his face told her what he had to disclose no question now of proving herself superior to common feelings it was sidney who made appeal to her and her heart went forth to grant him all he desired jane dear good jane you remember what i said to you in the garden at danbury that i had forgotten her i thought it was true but you know what a terrible thing has befallen her i should be less than a man if i could say that she is nothing to me have you spoken to her i have asked her to be my wife jane if i had come to you yesterday before going to her and had told you what i meant to do and explained all i felt how the love of years ago had grown in me again wouldn't you have given me a friendly hand just like i do now do you think i have forgotten one night when she stood by me and saved me from cruel treatment and then nursed me when i fell ill neither of them had the habit of making long speeches they understood each other very nearly sufficiently at all events to make the bond of sympathy between them stronger than ever jane was misled a little for she thought that here was the explanation of sidney's withdrawing his word to her grandfather doubtless he heard of the calamity when it happened but on a more essential point she fell into no misconception did sidney desire that she should he held her hand until she gently drew it away you will go up and tell grandfather she said gravely then added before he could speak but i'll just see him first for a minute he hasn't been out of his room this morning yet please wait here she left him and sidney fell back on his chair woebegone distracted michael brooding sorrowfully at first paid no heed to jane when she entered his room it was not long since he had risen and his simple breakfast scarcely touched was still on the table grandfather mr kirkwood is here and wishes to speak to you he collected himself and regarding her became aware that she was strongly moved wishes to see me jane then i suppose he came to see you first prepared now for anything unexpected feeling that the links between himself and these young people were artificial and that he could but watch as if from a distance the course of their lives his first supposition was that sidney had again altered his mind he spoke coldly and had little inclination for the interview yes jane replied 
he came to see me but only to tell me that he was going to be married his wrinkled face slowly gathered an expression of surprise he will tell you who it is he will explain but i wanted to speak to you first grandfather i was afraid you might say something about me will you will you forget my foolishness will you think of me as you did before when he has spoken to you you will understand why i am content to put everything out of my mind everything you and i talked of but i couldn't bear for him to know how i have disappointed you will you let me be all i was to you before will you trust me again grandfather you haven't spoken to him yet about me have you michael shook his head then you will let it be as if nothing had happened grandfather she bent beside him and took his hand michael looked at her with a light once more in his eyes tell him to come he shall hear nothing from me jane and you will try to forget it i wish nothing better tell him to come here my child when he's gone we'll talk together again the interview did not last long and sydney left the house without seeing jane a second time she would have promised anything now seeing that life had but one path of happiness for her the path hopelessly closed what did it matter by which of the innumerable other ways she accomplished her sad journey for an instant whilst sydney was still speaking she caught a gleam of hope in renunciation itself the kind of strength which idealism is fond of attributing to noble natures a gleam only and deceptive she knew it too well after the day spent by her grandfather's side encouraging at the expense of her heart's blood all his revived faith in her but she would not again give way the old man should reap fruit of her gratitude and sydney should never suspect how nearly she had proved herself unworthy of his high opinion she had dreamed her dream and on awaking must be content to take up the day's duties just in the same way when she was a child at mrs peckover's did not sleep often bring a vision of happiness of freedom from bitter tasks and had she not to wake in the miserable mornings trembling lest she had lain too long her condition was greatly better than then so much better that it seemed wicked folly to lament because one joy was not granted her why in the meantime she had forgotten all about pennyloaf that visit must be paid the first thing this morning End of chapter thirty four